This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is CNN Breaking News. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Bianca Goldriga in for Jake Tapper. We start with breaking news. The FBI is investigating a car explosion at the U.S.-Canadian border near Niagara Falls. Two people in the car died. This happened just a few hours ago at the Rainbow Bridge connecting New York and Canada. According to law enforcement sources, the car, for some reason, accelerated on the U.S. side, then went airborne and crash-landed, exploding near a checkpoint. In response, authorities quickly shut down all four land border crossings between the U.S. and Canada near Niagara Falls. Let's begin our coverage with CNN's Bryn Gingrass. Uh, Bryn, law enforcement officials from Canada and the U.S. are now looking into this. What more are we learning? Yeah, a lot of law enforcement on the ground there. Bianca, I want to get right to some video that we just got into our newsroom. It's surveillance video showing the point of impact when this explosion occurred. And I do want to warn you that you may find uh, this video disturbing as we play it for you. Um, but what we have learned uh, from sources uh, telling our John Miller that what they know right now, again, a lot of questions still being answered at this point, is that a vehicle was crossing from the U.S. side at the border and at some point had a high acceleration of speed hitting a curb causing the vehicle to go airborne and then crashing into a checkpoint area of this crossing causing that giant explosion and as you look at the video right now you can see all of this smoke all of the flames this is at what point what investigators are sort of working with as they try to figure out exactly what happened here what was the intention here was it something sinister was it something else that's the answers they're trying to get we know that two people were inside that vehicle and sources are telling us that those two people have died as you mentioned Bianca, four of the border crossings are now shut down. A number of security precautions are now in place uh, in that area, but also in this part of the country. Uh, in that area, we know that the uh, airports have heightened security to the point that they are now doing extra checks on passengers in the airports on this busy travel day. There are bomb sniffing dogs checking cars. There are a number of other checkpoints happening. And also we know that there's increased security in other major cities. We've learned that's happening in D.C. We also have learned that NYPD is sending resources to that area to help with this investigation. So a lot of answers still need, or a lot of questions rather, still need to be answered, but investigators uh, federally and locally and in the state on the ground trying to get those answers, Biana. All right, Bryn Gingras, thank you. I want to turn to CNN Chief Law Enforcement and Intelligence Analyst John Miller. John, what are your sources telling you about how and why this might have happened? Well, as it's developing, they are looking at the videos from the scene, um, which show the car um, exploding there. But they're also able to identify from parts uh, of the vehicle that they found um, a registered owner. So they know who that car belongs to. Um, they've traced the car's movements backwards um, through other videos. It appears to, before the um, before the before the car mounts the divider and goes airborne, 
It appears to leave, leave a nearby casino, um, and they are now trying to find um, friends, family members of the registered owner of the car to learn more. They are also uh, working with that casino to get video to see if they can see who is the person associated with that car before it leaves. But in the meantime, um, it is looking like the original assumptions that caused this immediate reaction, that it was a car that exploded after being directed to the secondary screening area. So we know those things aren't the case. We know that the car wasn't directed to secondary screening. It's where it landed after it flew over the divider. Um, that would be very hard to do intentionally. So this is a very fluid situation. As you know, the bridges have been shut down between the United mm -hmm. States and Canada. Airport security has been increased. So what we've seen is a quick reaction. Um, but as this appears to look more and more like some kind of car accident, whether it was a medical issue or a driving under the influence issue or something else, um, I guess the questions will be asked, uh, at what point are we overreacting? Well, we know now that at least one of these passengers has died. How does that impact the investigation, John? Well, there is the operating theory that the person um, who the car is registered to is likely the one who was operating at, who was likely the one who was operating the vehicle, likely the one who was at the casino. Um, but those all are investigative theories that need to be confirmed through investigation and so on. It is also less clear that there were two people in the vehicle in that the vehicle was so completely obliterated on impact and the parts um, and the victim or victims were obliterated by the impact as well as the fire. It's not entirely clear whether there were two people. Human mm. remains were found in one location and another location which spurred the theory that there may have been two passengers but at this point as they've gotten deeper into the scene it's just as possible that that was um, the individual who was driving and may have been by himself. Yeah, I mean, it just a reminder of how fluid this situation is right now. Uh, investigators are fortunate in the fact that they have quite a lot of surveillance video that they can comb through given the location uh, of this incident. Interesting. I mean, if you do anything at any of these checkpoints coming from either side of the bridge, uh, the surveillance video is plentiful and high quality. Um, but the best video that uh, we've seen so far comes from one of the checkpoints, but it's basically, it's almost off camera. Um, it's a video that you'll see soon where you can see the vehicle kind of in the upper left, uh, upper right hand side of the screen traveling at a high rate of speed and going over that wall. And then you see this explosion um, afterwards. Uh, but that is on a local road on the U.S. side of the border. Um, and it's a road where if you're on that road, you're not committed to crossing into Canada. Um, but once he flies over the divider, he ends up at a secondary screening location where you would have been directed if you were coming from Canada into the United States. Some of the confusion about whether he was headed to Canada or headed to the United States uh, was born out of the fact that the side of the road that the, the car landed on would have been the direction coming here when actually there's no indication he ever left the United States. All right, John Miller, thank you. Please keep us posted on anything you learn within the hour. I want to turn now to CNN's Pete Montine, who is tracking how this explosion is impacting holiday travel. Uh, Pete, how are airports responding to this? 
Well, as we are going, Biana, into one of the busiest pre-holiday travel, pre travel days of this Thanksgiving rush, we are hearing this just now from the FAA, that the Buffalo Niagara International Airport is now closed to all international arriving flights and international departing flights. This is significant because it is a huge port of entry for private flights that come in from Canada into the U.S. A third busiest airport in the state of New York, they had 5,000 flights just last month, 2 million passengers a year. We're also hearing this from the authority that oversees that airport. They say they are screening cars in addition to passengers that are coming into the airport and they're trying to get the word out on this huge holiday travel day for passengers to factor in some extra time into their trips. Flights domestically are still arriving and departing there, but the TSA says it's in a heightened state of security posture, something that it has been in uh, due to the situation in Israel. And I spoke to TSA Administrator David Pekoski about this just the other day. He says there are things you may see that are different, things you may not see, and he told me that they always need to be alert. Listen. We're always looking at the threat. We're always assessing the risk that occur across the entire system, not just here in the United States, but also at last point of departure airports uh, internationally. And so we do things that passengers might not even notice. Things are relatively situation normal here at Reagan National Airport. We are going into the evening rush, and the TSA says by the end of the day, we could anticipate 2.7 million people passing through security at America's airports. Still an unfolding situation as this impacts travel. Biana. All right, Pete Montine, thank you. I want to bring in Andrew McCabe. He served as deputy director of the FBI. Uh, Andy, good to see you. So we know that the Buffalo FBI is now taking the lead in this investigation Talk to us about what they're assessing at this moment, and how does an investigation like this even begin? Sure, Bianca. So, of course, it starts at the scene, right? You have all sorts of tactical assets and uh, SA bomb technicians that respond to the scene in order to render it safe. They want to make sure that there's not actually an explosive device or another device there that could hurt any of the first responders. Once they do that, it's uh, we bring in the evidence response teams, and they know how to basically disassemble everything that's taken place there, document what we have for evidence and really maximize the significance of the investigation of that stuff on site. At the same time, you have teams of analysts and other agents who are working back in the Buffalo field office. And they are trying to exploit every piece of information that we can get from this vehicle. So we know who the vehicle was registered to. Uh, we try to identify those people, to identify their family members and associates. And then we have agents out in the field contacting those individuals to try to be, help us identify who was in this car and what might have motivated them, what they might have been doing that day, what might have led to this uh, either horrible accident or intentional act that could have caused uh, loss of life and a lot of damage. Uh, and then, of course, there's a very robust exchange going on with our Canadian colleagues. Uh, we work very closely with Canadian law enforcement and intelligence, and I'm sure that they are shoulder to shoulder with our FBI folks working through these issues. Yeah, we were taking a press conference earlier with their transportation minister on this issue. Um, as you look at the scene and images, what jumps out to you first, and what do you make of the fact that the car apparently accelerated before it then crashed and exploded? 
Sure. So the the acceleration, when we learned about the acceleration, that was really the first thing to me that jumped out um, against the theory that this might have been sort of an, an intentional detonation of an explosive device. Uh, it's not consistent with the way terrorists or operatives work. If you had a vehicle that was rigged up to explode, you wouldn't uh, draw that sort of attention. You wouldn't have to attack the place before you detonated the device. So those Th those two things didn't seem to me to be consistent. Um, it, it certainly still looks like an intentional act, but it could have been one that could have been a mistake. Could have, now that we know that they were on a separate road and actually landed where they did because they crossed the barrier in air, that introduces all sorts of questions as to exactly where was this vehicle going? What were they trying to accomplish before they ended up uh, on fire and, and uh, upside down on the border? Uh, so I think it's as we've gotten deeper and been able to put more facts around what's happened, um, I think that the question of why and what was the motivation and the intent here has gotten muddier and less likely to be an act of terrorism. Would there be a search for residue or explosives here? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think those some of those initial responders would be special agent bomb technicians. They have the technology and the devices and robots and all sorts of uh, uh, ways to conduct that search for explosive trace residue without putting people in jeopardy. I'm sure that's probably already happened by now. All right, Angie McCabe, thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Ahead for us, the other big story, the most significant moment of the Israel-Hamas war since the initial Hamas attack on October 7th. I want to bring in my colleague, CNN's Caitlin Collins, who is live for us in Tel Aviv. Caitlin. Yeah, Biano, right now we are less than 11 hours away from what we expect to be the first pause in the fighting that has happened, the first serious one since October 7th, also potentially the first release of those hostages to be released that were taken on October 7th by Hamas into Gaza. Ahead, we're going to talk about how this process will go down. Also ask the question, what if one side does not keep its word? Does the deal collapse? We'll speak to a spokesman for the Israel Defense Forces right after this. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. We are live here on the ground in Tel Aviv, Israel, where we are just about 11 hours away from the beginning of a planned temporary truce that is expected to result in the release of at least 50 hostages that are currently being held by Hamas. As a part of this deal that has been negotiated, a pause in the fighting is scheduled to start, we are told, at 10 a.m. here, 3 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow. That's what we're hearing from sources, as the White House believes at least three Americans will be a part of this group of 50. That's one toddler and two women leaving, believe 10 more Americans still unaccounted for. CNN's Orrin Lieberman is here with me in Tel Aviv. And Orrin, we just heard from the wartime cabinet uh, led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu about the details, the first real time that we've heard from them since they this was signed off on by the Israeli cabinet last night. What are their expectations for what this will look like starting tomorrow morning? First, it's clear they expect this to happen. Even if there is continued fighting in Gaza right now, we are not at the point where the pause starts and the expectation from the war cabinet and from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is that this goes into effect uh, at 10 in the morning. Now, they didn't give many specific details. Most of the details we've learned have been from sources outside of Israel. But first, they expect it to go into effect. And also Netanyahu acknowledged that in hostage, hostage rescues, sometimes a military option is possible. Here it wasn't. It required diplomacy. He thanked President Joe Biden for his effort, especially to improve the terms of the conditions. And then he opened up the possibility, as we've reported, that it could continue beyond the first batch of 50 Israeli hostages and 150 Palestinian prisoners if the deal holds, if the agreement remains in place and the terms are abided to by both sides here. But he was asked... What if this doesn't hold? What if there is a breach in that cessation of hostilities? He didn't really make clear, though, you know, what that he didn't draw any red lines of what that would look like if something does happen. Right. He was asked specifically what happens if a soldier is shot, a pretty clear incident. But he wouldn't say, yes, that's the moment where the agreement breaks down. He simply said the forces in Gaza, the Israeli troops there know how to handle themselves. They're they're ready for this and are in position for this and effectively said, we'll handle this as it happens. So he didn't want to put a red line on it and, and have to be committed to a point where the deal falls apart. Yeah. Okay, we'll wait to see what exactly that looks like. Obviously, a lot of unknowns here. Orrin Lieberman, thank you for that. Of course, there are major questions of what this is going to look like once this is expected to start at 10 a.m. local here, 3 a.m. Eastern. For more on that now, I want to bring in Israel Defense Forces spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. What role is the IDF going to be playing in this hostage exchange based on what you know? Good night, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Uh, what we will be doing is to execute government policy and directives and to yes. facilitate the safe transfer of Israeli hostages, women and children, after 47 days of Hamas captivity uh, back home into safety. We will do so while remaining very vigilant on the ground, mindful of the fact that we are dealing with a hateful terror organization that has a proven track record of violating ceasefire agreements on the ground. And are you worried that, that they could violate this temporary ceasefire that you've agreed to? We are definitely mindful of their um, ability to do so. And we remember what happened in 2014 when there was a UN brokered ceasefire uh, which was violated by Hamas and they killed and abducted an Israeli officer, Lieutenant uh, Hadar Goldin, and have been holding on to his body ever since. Uh, so we are mindful of the fact that that is definitely an, a possibility, uh, which of course indicates that we have to be very vigilant, we have to be 
dynamic in our posture, ready for any eventuality. I think our intention is very clear. We want to see our hostages back. And if there's this diplomatic effort can be successful, then of course that is a good thing. And Israelis will be repatriated and returned to their loved ones. But if Hamas tries to take advantage of the pause and use it for tactical activity, we of course will be ready to respond in kind. And has the IDF been told when the, the military should stop firing? Have you been told 10 a.m. local tomorrow? So uh, we are aware of the uh, official 10 a.m. guideline and uh, we are conducting operations accordingly. Uh, we will wait for final orders and directives to be given from the government, uh, from the cabinet. Uh, but we are, that is for planning purposes as of now. And we'll see how things uh, develop during the night and we'll see what the situation is. And then we will wait for final uh, instructions and we are ready towards that. We just heard from the Prime Minister about the Red Cross being able to reach all of these hostages, including those who are not going to be in that initial group that is being part of that exchange. How realistic is it that the Red Cross will actually be able to access the rest of these hostages? Well, we definitely hope that the efforts will be made by the Red Cross uh, in order to execute and uh, implement their responsibility as a leading humanitarian organization chartered exactly to provide that service to hostages uh, during uh, wartime. Uh, we're hopeful that it will happen and we will, of course, try to facilitate it. Uh, how realistic it is, I cannot comment on, but it is definitely our expectation that it will happen. I heard from the former Prime Minister of Israel earlier today, Naftali Bennett, who said he's worried that this essentially will allow Hamas time to regroup. He equated it to, to knocking down your opponent and then helping them get back up. Are you concerned about what this pause will, will allow Hamas to do? Yeah, one would hope that uh, Hamas would use the pause in order to care for the humanitarian needs of the Palestinian population. But I think that would be a naive uh, way of thinking. I think that what Hamas will use the time uh, will be for their military purposes. They will try to regroup. They will uh, take a breather from relentless, is, uh, relentless IDF pressure on them. And from a tactical point of view, I can understand that this will be beneficial. Hamas has been asking for this. So, of course, they are interested in having a pause in operations. But I am also equally confident that the moment, the minute that the uh, deal is uh, concluded, hopefully successfully, we will go back to military operations and we will continue to bring pressure upon Hamas, upon their leaders, their infrastructure, the combatants, the entire system that supports them, and to bring to their demise, military and political, so that never again will we find ourselves in a situation where Israelis are held hostage by a terror organization from Gaza. What has the IDF been told to do during this, this four to five day pause initially if Hamas violates it, if they do fire on Israeli forces that are in Gaza? Have you been told yet what, what your orders are for that or do you wait until that happens and then ask for them? No, as I said in the beginning, we are um, preparing ourselves for various tactical scenarios on the ground. Uh, we, of course, are going to honor the agreement and the commitment here, and we are not going to initiate 
uh, tactical contact. But if we will be fired upon, we will defend ourselves and take all necessary measures in, in order to ensure troop safety. And if there's any hostages that are jeopardized, then of course to ensure their safety. Uh, and that will be our posture. It will be a defensive one, not an aggressive one. And hopefully, for once, Hamas will honor an agreement and actually implement what they have said that they're going to implement. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricas, thanks for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. Viana, back to you. Thanks, Caitlin. Up next, the U.S. response to all of this with National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. He's making his way over to our White House camera right now. We are back with our world lead. Families of hostages are anxiously waiting to see whether their loved ones will be released in the coming hours or days. That excruciating uncertainty is creating a new set of anxieties and even tensions among some families. Just adding to the miserable nightmare, so many of them have been living since October 7th. CNN's Clarissa Ward talks with some of those who are trying to keep their hope alive. Even as the first batch of hostages is poised to be released, they are not backing down. Look in their eyes, this protester says. Tell them that every day you are doing everything that it takes. For 47 days, friends, family members and supporters of the estimated 240 hostages in Gaza have demanded the Israeli government prioritize bringing them home. Here, they gather in support of Hadas Calderon, whose children, 12-year-old Erez and 16-year-old Sa'ar, were taken on October 7th along with her ex-husband. Tell me what you're going through now. Are, are you hopeful? Are you anxious? Are you in denial? All of you. I smile, I laugh, and then I cry, and then I shh. Do you know anything? Have you heard anything? Nobody knows anything. Nobody. Nobody. No information. I have to pray. We have to pray all. Calderon is not the only parent desperately waiting and hoping for news that has yet to come. Nine-year-old Emily Han's father, Thomas, was initially told his daughter was killed on October 7th, only to then get the news that she may be alive and held in Gaza. I want to jump through the roof with hope, Han told us today about the possible prospect of Emily's release, but I also have to keep a level head emotionally. It's a challenge Calderon is all too familiar with. Every day is tough. Every day is all day is tough. I don't want to think, I don't want to feel, because it's too painful. You know, when they start to ask me, like, interview like you, show me the picture of your child, tell me what last thing it told you. Then I, it breaks my heart, because the last thing it told me was, Mom, be quiet, I love you. He was worried for me. When you think of God willing, your babies come home and are part of this release. Do you worry about how they will be changed by what they've they, experienced? They are changed. They want to be the same. They got, they've been kidnapped brutally away from the beds, from the house, from the safe place. They kidnapped their infant in this, this day. At the central hostage square in Tel Aviv, prayers for those who will come home over the next few days, and a promise to keep pushing for those who will not. 
Now, Bianca, everybody is anxiously awaiting that list that is supposed to come tonight that will give the names of the estimated 10 hostages who will hopefully be released tomorrow. Qatari officials saying that they do believe that this list will come out, that they're confident it will happen in the next few hours. But you can imagine, Bianca, just what an emotional roller coaster this is for these families who are desperately waiting, hoping, trying not to let let themselves hope too much and wondering in reality, even if they do get their loved ones home, what kind of changes they will see in those loved ones as a result of the traumas that they will undoubtedly have experienced, Bianca. And in this evil nightmare, those are the fortunate ones who are able to, to leave and come back to their families uh, forever changed. Clarissa Ward in Tel Aviv, Israel for us. Thank you. Well, joining me now from the White House is National Security Spokesman John Kirby. Admiral Kirby, it's good to see you. So is the White House confident at this point that this pause and hostage release will go forward as planned in, in just a few hours from now? That's certainly our hope, and we're going to be watching this very, very closely. Big deal to get these two sides to agree to this particular negotiation yesterday, but now it comes down to execution and implementation and making sure that all sides meet their commitments. And we're dealing with Hamas here, terrorist organization that's not exactly known for uh, keeping all its commitments. So we're going to be watching this very, very closely. Uh, our reporting shows that Hamas had gone in the dark uh, the past few times during these negotiations as they've reached a, a turning point. What makes you confident that that won't happen again? Well, we're not going into this with uh, with hubris or, or arrogance or uh, ultra confidence. Uh, we're, we're grateful that we were able to get this deal secured. But as I said, it all now comes down to execution. And so uh, we're, we're uh, nobody's uh, nobody's doing any touchdown dancing here. Uh, there's still work to be done and a long way to go. We're hoping hoping uh, that implementation will start sometime in the next 24 hours or so and then continue for the next few days, uh, both of, uh, days of a pause where there'll be no fighting uh, so humanitarian assistance can get in at an accelerated rate and, of course, getting all those 50-plus hostages out. Now, they'll come out in increments. They won't all come out together, and that's why this is a multi-day process. Yeah, your colleague Brett McGurk says three U.S. hostages are expected to be released in that first tranche of the 50. Can you confirm that? And what we, about the other American hostages? So we think the total uh, uh, population of Americans that are being held hostage is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10. We know there's 10 unaccounted for Americans. We don't know that all of them are hostages, but uh, that's, uh, that's the, the, the assumption that we're making. Uh, so somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, we know that of that population of about 10, um, there are three uh, Americans that would qualify for the stipulations of this particular deal. Uh, two American women uh, and one little toddler, uh, Abigail uh, Moreden, who is going to turn four on Friday. Yeah. Uh, lost her father uh, in this uh, terrible, terrible attack on the 7th of October and was rescued by some neighbors. Uh, we obviously want to see her get home to her family as quickly as possible as, as those other two American ladies. And so we're hoping uh, that those three Americans, uh, those two women and little Abigail, uh, will be in at least one of the Increments of these hostages that are coming out over the next few days, but we'll have to we'll have to watch. The truth is, we won't know for sure until we start to see people moving. Do you have concrete proof that all of these American hostages are alive? Our information is limited uh, about all the hostages, including uh, the remaining American hostages. Uh, so I can't tell you definitively that we have proof of life on all of them, but I can say that we have no indication to the contrary. Uh, so we're going to continue to work on this as, as hard, hard as we can. We want to see them all home with their families. 
You said just moments ago that the U.S. support for Israel is not going to waver following this hostage agreement. Does that mean that the U.S. supports what Prime Minister Netanyahu stated would be a resumption of its war on Hamas in Gaza? We believe that Israel still has uh, a right and a responsibility to defend itself against Hamas, which means uh, that we can expect that they'll continue to conduct operations against Hamas. And I'll tell you something else. It also means that we're going to continue to provide them the security assistance that they need to do exactly that. The threat of Hamas is still real, it's still viable, uh, and it's still quite frankly, existential to the Israeli nation and to the Israeli people. Uh, so we have every expectation that they'll continue these operations. That said, we continue to uh, advocate for these humanitarian pauses, uh, like the one that we're about to enter into, which will not only help hostages get out, but help aid get into the innocent people of Gaza, who, oh, by the way, are also victims of Hamas. They didn't ask for this conflict. All right, John Kirby, we are praying for good news and that, that little Abigail can celebrate her birthday in, yeah. in the arms of her family members. Yeah. Thank you so much. So are we. Thank you. Well, one of the youngest hostages held by Hamas is a 10-month-old baby. Take a look at this picture. That child's family will be here up next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with our World Lead Hostages and Missing Families Forum, a group that formed in response to Hamas's attack on October 7th, lists at least 201 Israelis believed to be alive and held hostage by Hamas in Gaza. The youngest on that list is 10-month-old Kefir Bibas, seen here with his four-year-old brother Ariel and their parents, Yarden and Shiri. All of them are hostages. Joining us now is Yossi Schneider. He is Shiri's cousin. Uh, Yossi, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us, especially given the moment right now. Um, has the Israeli government told you whether your relatives are, are on this list or what to expect, if they might be? No, actually, we still have zero information. As much as we know, the, the head of the Mossad get the list of the 10 people that should be released tomorrow. Uh, they didn't publish it yet. They want to make sure, first of all, that all the people that on the list is really uh, been released and then they're going to announce the, the families. So until then, we have zero information. And you're just waiting for, for that call. What was your reaction when Israel approved this deal? Uh, I can divide this question and this answer because there is two things that I thought about. One of them, you know, when I, when I think with my stomach, uh, of course, I want everybody to come back as soon as possible, and I, you know, I want my family back. And I, I want to give everything that they want just to release all the hostages, and that everybody will be here safe and sound mentally and uh, physically. Are you satisfied? This, when I, when I, Go ahead. When I, when I think with my head and realize exactly who we're dealing with, and I know that Hamas is a radical terror organization that lies time after time and will do whatever he can to try to alter our soldiers in the in this four days or five days of ceasefire 
and he will regroup in those days and that's mean that the next negotiation would be postponed and the people that will have to stay there uh, uh, instead of being released in a week from now for example they're gonna be released in a month or two months from now so i'm very concerned about the other people that are gonna stay there we know that uh, among this first tranche are uh, mostly children and women so that could include uh, your 10-month-old uh, cousin and and his mother. But obviously that, that doesn't include their father. And I'm wondering if you've come to terms with that. It doesn't include his father. It, does, it doesn't include uh, the, same, uh, the, the same children up to the age of 18. But if you ask me, there is uh, ch children in the age of 19 and 20 that have been, uh, that are found in the index captivity and uh, it's not easy to to leave be people behind especially when you don't know exactly what their situation is uh, we are very concerned about each and every one of them also the Hamas announced that uh, year 40 children's but you know only where the where the location of only 30 from this 40 children's that means the 10 children's will not come back in those deal because Hamas doesn't know where they are uh, so, Yossi Schneider, we, we are praying. We are praying that you receive that phone call uh, with good news. And of course, we'll be covering this uh, until you do. Thank you, you have, so much you have, for your you time. To, you have to not just you have to not just pray. You have to 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 be with us and support Israel and and, and tell the world to stop judging us and blame us for everything, and really start to support us. Because I I, t I told you in the in the last interview that we did. I, I, I know that Europe and the U.S. and everybody else and every other country, you have radical uh, Muslim cells in your country. And uh, unfortunately, it can be you. Uh, you can be the, the next one that we experience the same thing that we have been experiencing the 7th of October. So we really need you to wake up and start support us and uh, be by, by our side. Yossi Schneider, thank you for your thank time. You. We'll be right back. Thank you. We are back now with breaking news. Israel's National Security Council now says that no hostages will be released before Friday. The first exchange was expected to take place at 3 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning. So let's go straight to CNN's Oren Lieberman in Tel Aviv. Oren, what's going on here? What are you learning about this change? We just got a very short statement from Israel's National Security Council. They give very few details. They only say the talks to release our hostages are advancing and ongoing. The beginning of the release will be done according to the original agreement of both parties and not before Friday. So very little information in that statement, making it clear that we are not expecting a hostage exchange tomorrow. The only thing that's interesting to note is that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the other members of the War Cabinet held a press briefing just a short time ago in which they mentioned no details of the time timing on the agreement. So it seems likely that they knew this wouldn't happen before Friday, even as our expectations, and it's worth noting those are from sources outside the country, said this may begin as soon as tomorrow. Now, it's unclear if that affects the beginning of the pause in the fighting, which is still expected for 10 a.m. tomorrow. That is certainly something we'll keep track of as we watch the movement on the release of the hostages in Gaza and the release of Palestinian prisoners as well. So this news coming from the Israeli Security Council, any news coming from the Qataris who played such a critical role in mediating this deal? 
We haven't seen a statement at this point from them. It's possible they will release one or they'll simply rely on this and, and acknowledge that Friday is the day we'll be looking at. Just another day these poor families have to wait and see if their loved ones come home. Warren Lieberman, thank you so much. We're back in just a moment. We are standing by for a news conference in New York after that car explosion at the border of the U.S.-Canadian border. This happened this morning at the Rainbow Bridge near Niagara Falls. The eruption and fire so severe that authorities tell us they do not know exactly how many people were in that car. We do know that at least one person has died. We're also following major news overseas. We've just learned from Israel's National Security Council that there will be no hostages released before Friday. We had initially anticipated hostage releases to begin around 3 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. Keep it here for more on this developing story. Meantime, our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room live from Tel Aviv. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.